Hello, and welcome to the History Chat. This episode will be all about Victor Hugo, or Victor Hugo in my American accent. Uh, it's a name you should know, or at least you should know some of his works, like Les Mis, Notre Dame de Paris, or Hunchback of Notre Dame, and Hans of Iceland. Just, just to name a few. All of the source material I use for this episode will be listed in the show notes. Please feel free to go through them. Correct me if I'm wrong on anything. I love to learn. That's how this all works. Now, Mr. Hugo was a very interesting man, but you would not know that from a quick Google search. Let me tell you all of the boring stuff I had to go through just to get some juicy details on this man's life. But before we even get into any of that, we need to back up and look at some French history just to get some context. Now listen, did I take French in high school and all through college? Yes. Do I speak it well? Absolutely not. I had this French professor one time. We had to talk to her completely in French. She was so disappointed in me, y'all. Like, oh my God. She goes, Sadie, how will you communicate with these French people? I said, through body language, I guess. She didn't like that. But anyways, forgive me if I pronounce anything incorrectly. I'm trying my darndest to do it properly. Another note. This episode is about Victor Hugo, not French history. So what I'm going to tell you are just some of the highlights within his lifetime. This will not replace your regularly scheduled French lesson. Now, let's hop back in time, shall we? In the late 18th century of France, uh, it was mostly made up of commoners, you know, laborers, working class, some peasants. These people were fed up with the monarchy, the church, and the elite nobility. This was also during the time of the Enlightenment era. So people such as Voltaire and Rousseau have all these writings and all these ideas, and people begin to question the absolutism of the monarchy. Not to mention, France had, I mean, almost sponsored and seen the American Revolution play out. So because of all of this mounting inequality, the pot's about to boil, the people stormed the Bastille prison, which housed a lot of weapons, gunpowder, political prisoners. It really just symbolized the oppression of the king at that time. And the French Revolution, as we commonly refer to, began on July 14th, 1789. Now the goal and the motto of this revolution was life, liberty, and fraternity. But, you know, some people, they had other goals, like off with their head type goals. Uh, so if you look under people like Robespierre, the reign of terror took over France, like chop chop hello guillotine terror. Eventually, this guy, this homie, came up with this amazing military career. He crowns himself Emperor of France. Who's that? You don't know? Do -do -do -do. It's Napoleon Bonaparte. Yeah, so not only did he crown himself emperor, he also took the Pope's hat, so to speak. So he's slapping the monarchy of France in the face, and then he's challenging the authority of the church. We love to see it. So from 1804 to 1814, Napoleon has a ton of military success. This man is capturing this. He's taking that. He is expanding the empire of France. You go Bonaparte. We see you. Um, but then he hits a brick wall. Or should I say an ice wall? He tries to go for Russia. 
Russia is cold, y'all. The Russians know that if you hold off the enemy until the winter, they're going to be just fine. You're the one that's going to suffer. And that's exactly what happened to Napoleon and his army in 1812. They lost. A lot of people died in the cold, froze. Napoleon then gets slapped in the face again in 1815 when he loses at the Battle of Waterloo. So, bye-bye, little homie. Exile. Chop. I mean, no, he didn't get chopped. No, he just got sent away. Okay. So, speed round. Napoleon is gone. Monarchy is reestablished. There's a little scuffle over who's going to be king. Is it Louis? Is it Charles? Louis Charles? Charles X wins this argument. And France is now reminded again how much it sucks to have a king. He taxes you. He bosses you around. He don't ask your opinion on nothing. So, the French people go, yeah, we don't like that. We don't like him. Bring back a Napoleon. So, Napoleon Bonaparte's nephew is then elected the first president of the Second Republic of France in 1848. The French Industrial Revolution begins. Colonize, colonize. War, war. Another Napoleon is exiled. Goodbye. And then the Third Republic emerges in 1871. Okay. Wow. We pushed through. You know... I had this really amazing professor in college, like so amazing. I wanted to be in all of his classes just because he was so knowledgeable. I wanted to soak it all into my brain. Do you know what his expertise was, y'all? France, French history. The man had a beheaded Marie Antoinette sitting on his desk. He would probably hate the way that I just did that history, like squishing it all together and glazing over. Oh, well. This is about Victor Hugo, remember? Not France. And it's amazingly long, beautiful, and traumatic history. We press on. Alright, picture this. You're hiking up Mount Vosges Mountains in France. You make it upwards of 3,000 feet elevation on Mount Donnan. And you see a sandstone with the date May 1801. This sandstone marks the place that Victor Marie Hugo was conceived. Yep. In the 1960s, some museum curator somewhere thought it would be the perfect thing for people to know where Hugo was conceived. That's crazy to me. Oh my gosh. So Hugo's father was Joseph Hugo, who was a Republican. So he's anti-monarch. He's a soldier under Napoleon Bonaparte, and he marries this lovely woman named Sophie, who is a devoted Catholic royalist. What a match, right? Mm-mm. So Hugo was born in Biscon, France, uh, February 26, 1802, to a family that had been nobility since 1531. So his mother would follow his father around on his military endeavors with all of the kids. So they traveled a ton. And Hugo began to really romanticize this military lifestyle. He fell in love with nature and travel. But his mama soon got tired of going from place to place with all these kids. So she took them back to Paris. She was schooling them, raising them up as royalists. And then this this really interesting man stumbles into Hugo's life. His name was Victor Lahore, or Lahore. I don't know which one. I've looked it up. I can't figure it out. So we're going to call him Victor. (laughs) Um, So Victor is actually his godfather, and that's where he got his namesake from. He was actually a general in Napoleon's army, and him and Hugo's father were like BFFs. So there's your connection. 
they bonded really well over reading and telling stories and just talking. And then one day, Victor just disappeared. And no one would tell Hugo what happened. Until he's walking around in Paris one day, he sees a flyer that said Victor had been shot for, quote, the crime of conspiracy against the empire and the emperor. So, yeah, not everybody is a big fan of our homie Napoleon at that time. So this death really, like, rocks Hugo. He takes in all his emotions. He puts them into his writing. He's very, very talented. He even enters for awards from the Academy of France when he's 15 in 1817. But the Academy refused to believe he was only 15. So his writing was too good, right? But don't you worry. Uh, He did get awards from Toulouse Academy of Floral Sports for three different poems between the years 1819 and 1822. Speaking of his writing, fun fact, he wrote in the nude. Yep, he needed to be naked in order to push past his writer's block, and he would refuse to put any clothes on until he was done writing for the day. Oh, are you worried about him getting cold? Don't worry, don't worry. He would allow himself a blanket to just cover up his nakedness while he wrote if it was chilly. So yeah, that's just an interesting way to finish your work, right? (laughs) Back to the story, though. His mama dies in 1821, and Hugo was really crushed. So he drowns himself in his writing, and his father is like, "Mm, no, you need a real job so you can make real money and survive. We've all heard it, right? And Hugo goes, nah, I ain't doing no nine to five. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. He probably said that in French. Um, So he secretly marries his childhood honey boo, Adele Foucher, in, in 1822. And he kept on writing. On his wedding night in 1822, according to him, he and Adele had sex nine times. Yeah, one night, nine times, until she begged for him to stop. According to him, Adele became uninterested in sex after that, and he had to look in other places. Our boy was getting after that thing, let me tell you. His mistress, Juliet, estimated that Hugo had had sex with over 200 women in one year. I'll tell you about the brothels at the end, okay? Not only was he a lover of lovemaking, he also loved to entertain. He was said to have about 30 guests at his home at any given night, and he had a favorite party trick. What was it? I'm gonna tell you, don't worry. So he would get a whole orange, he would put it into his mouth, then put sugar packets in the side of his mouth, and then drink two glasses of water not letting anything come out of his mouth, out of the sides, and without swallowing the orange. Cool flex, right? Okay, we're into it. So when he wasn't engaged with the ladies or entertaining, he was stepping into the political eye. Although he was raised a royalist, and at that time had royalist ideals and beliefs, because of his writings to other people who were happened to be enemies of the monarchy, uh, he was offering them asylum... And the king was like, mm, he wasn't superstitious, but he was a little stitious, you know what I mean? And probably for good reason, because Hugo began to have more liberal beliefs. Um, so he was bringing that into his writing as well. His writing started to become more autobiographical as he was putting himself and his ideals into his characters. And it was also turning semi-revolutionary. His radical liberalism... Uh, really came about when he found out his letters to others were being taken directly to the king, read, and then discarded. 
That's a big no-no, Mr. King, sir. That's rude. So his writing started to challenge classical education, the church, and the crown. So there he is, bare-ass naked, squaring up to the inequality in France. You go, Hugo. So he became a really big voice in the pursuit to abolish the death penalty. He did not believe in a life for a life. He would write to the king and plead him to pardon prisoners. One time he was even in the middle of watching his play, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and it was in the middle of the song Esmeralda, and somebody told him this guy was going to be killed, and he got up and he wrote a letter directly to the king and delivered it himself. What a guy. So the king would sometimes pardon him, sometimes not. Eventually, Hugo's son was arrested for speaking out against the crown and was given the death penalty. Uh, what? So Hugo, being the man he is, stepped in as his attorney. According to records, he was so eloquently spoken that the king was touched and removed the death penalty from Hugo's son. But the boy still had to serve six months in prison, which, mm, I'd rather do that than die, you know? Well, while all this is happening politically... Hugo is still this amazing creative writer, and theaters and publishers are begging him for shows and novels and poems and all this stuff. They're like, Hugo, Hugo, write me something. And um, Hugo is demanding a lot of money for his writings. Man is a baller. He is still, to this day, the highest paid author for a work of literature. That literature being Les Mis, which in that time, he was paid 300,000 francs. And today, today, y'all, that would be $4,116,420 for Les Mis. Oh, my God. So, he's getting that money, getting that honey, and also is a well-known abolitionist and politician. Until he gets a little too loud for the new Napoleon, Napoleon's nephew, remember? Um, so, he's exiled to Guernsey, is what I was told to pronounce it as. Uh, why is he exiled, though? He's elected to the General Assembly in France as a conservative. But what do we know? He's not a conservative. He speaks out about his liberal beliefs. He talks about social injustice, the need for freedom of the press, the abolishment of the death penalty, and Napoleon III is like, mm-mm. I have absolute control of France. I've had it since 1851. You, Hugo, are a traitor. Kick you out. Boop. Which I think is a little harsh. So, while he's in Guernsey, an island off of the English Channel, he wrote his most notable work, which was Les Mis, and also some political pamphlets against Napoleon. Never piss off a writer, ladies and gentlemen. That is my advice to you. He does eventually return to Paris in 1871 after the Third Republic of France was established and uh, that Napoleon was boop, exiled, though he no longer had like the energy for politics. He was getting older, getting up there. In 1878, he started having cerebral congestion or apoplexy, so he was having a series of strokes. Um, don't get sad just yet. He still has some life to live. He eventually had a street in Paris named after him, which is where he lived out the rest of his life, where people would write him letters and they would address it, Mr. Victor, on his avenue, Paris. I just, I love that for him. When he turned 80, he was granted a national holiday where all school punishments were not allowed on that day. And on that day, Hugo sat on his porch and he just smiled and waved to the 600,000 people who paraded across his front porch. 
Isn't that, that's crazy. He did die eventually, though. I mean, we all will. In May 22nd, 1885, at the age of 83. I promised to bring back the brothels, remember? So, Victor Hugo was a very loyal client of the brothels. Remember, he loves them ladies. Well, on the day that he died, all the brothels in Paris were said to have been closed in order to mourn his passing. What a legacy. Chef's kiss. He was a very interesting man, and his message to his audience was that brotherhood and the acceptance that life is important and all humans deserve the right to equality. So, yeah, that's a wrap on our boy Victor Hugo. Thanks for listening to the History Chat. I hope you come back for more. All right. Bye.